Welcome to another episode of the Gain Momentum Podcast, focusing on timeless lessons from global industry leaders about how to grow and scale a business in hospitality, travel, food service, and technology. I'm Jason Manis here with my co-host, Adam Mogolinski. Adam, how are you? Fantastic. Good, good. Our guest today is Robert Stevenson, CEO of Intelity. Hello, Robert. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Take it away, Adam. So, Robert and listeners, our format is we're focusing on timeless lessons, focusing a little bit on the here and now, but mostly what everyone can learn from very experienced business leaders in hospitality, travel, and technology. So, it is a delight to have Robert on board today. We structure our podcast around four key questions that we ask all guests. So, we're going to dive right into the first question, and that is Robert, when it comes to scaling a business, what is the single piece of advice you would give entrepreneurs from your perspective as a professional in hospitality technology? Great question. Thank you, Adam. Yeah, I think the first thing to do is, you know, the word scale, of course, has many meetings to many people and, you know, none of the meetings are, are totally correct or totally incorrect. And I think really assessing your business, your particular thing that you're trying to accomplish and, and really digging in and, and what is it that you're actually trying to scale, Right. You know, what is it? Is it a piece of unit economics that is your sort of special formula that uh, operates your business and drives growth or drives, you know, uh, your go to market or drives a particular aspect of your business that you believe is going to, uh, to carry you forward? But to really go in and figure out fundamentally what is it you're trying to scale, right? Because you can attack scale in many ways, right? There's, you know, uh, obviously scaling up your footprint in a marketing or go to market context. There's, scaling up and from a tech or a tech platform, uh, you know, sort of components and, you know, building up and building efficiently there. You can, uh, you know, scale, of course, in your core business, you know, what is the core thing that you're selling and the unit economics around that. But really as an entrepreneur to really assess, hey, I, I'm ready to scale. I'm probably past some early stage of just trying to figure things out, get a few customers in, and I think I'm ready for scaling but really trying to tear apart your business and really think about it uh, holistically about what is that that you're actually trying to scale. And then backing into that, right? And, and I suggest this pause and this sort of you know, uh, self-reflection before going and perhaps it's you know, might be raising some capital to go uh, scale more quickly, get some venture money or some private equity money to go scale more quickly. There's plenty of folks out there that are excited about businesses that are pre-scale and ready to scale, but have that self-reflection and you know, bring in outside people, right? Ask your staff, you know, go and talk to some of your customers and make sure that the component, you know, the part of the business that you're trying to scale and scale up is indeed, you know, the key thing that's going to help help you and help you grow in the long run, right? It's kind of awful to go in and, you know, hey, we're going to, we think this is what it is and we think this is our secret sauce. And then two, three years later to realize that you put all this effort in and your business is really no better. Maybe it's, maybe it's grown a little bit, but not in the way that it, it, it potentially could. So there's this kind of mentality around startups or younger companies of bootstrapping and the lean startup and kind of this aggressivity and move quickly, break things, you know, all the sort of Silicon Valley like phrases that pop out and all that's good and all that's great. And, and I think, you know, there's merit in those things, but also being cautious pre-scale, you know, about where you're going to put your energy, where you're going to put your effort. Because once you've kind of left the station and you're saying, hey, I'm scaling my business and it is around these two or three things that I'm going to be focused on. My capital is going in there. 
My staff are going to be focused on it. Once that train has left the station, you can move around, of course, right? You can you can pivot and some companies can be more nimble than others, but you do begin to build a momentum around that scaling effect and making sure that you land, you know, months or years later in, in a zone that you're you're really happy with, right? You can look back and you can look at your PL, you can look at your financials or whatever your measurement of the business health is. Perhaps it's the number of customers, perhaps it's daily active users, whatever it is that you're happy with the KPI outcome on the other side of that sort of scale push. You know, to build a little bit on it, you know, I, I would say self-reflection, making sure you're scaling in the right area, your unit economics, if that's the core thing that you're trying to sell, if you're selling a widget uh, to hotels or to restaurants and you know, that widget involves the sales process and it involves a installation process and it involves a customer success process. And that little, you know, virtuous cycle that you can replicate over and over and over, if that's the thing, you know, make sure that you understand that sort of like in a 360 fashion as best you can before you start applying uh, a ton of energy on it, right? If your your widget or your your secret sauce is like, look, I just, I just need footprint, right? Like I might be running a business that is... Uh, you know, negative cash flow, and I'm okay with that, or I'm okay with losing some money because I'm going to be able to raise money, you know, for the foreseeable future. But my scaling effect is is really grabbing a lot of market share. Maybe you have a unique widget that goes into restaurants and is better than everybody else's widget. You know, restaurants will adopt this, and if you know, if you wait, that uh, competitors will come in and and muscle you out. Perhaps your scaling effort is really on the go to market and getting your product out there and getting the footprint out there, and you're pushing off. Some of the uh, the cash flow considerations, maybe some of the PL considerations. Make sure you're making decision between the one business case that I described and the other business case that I described. You're making that decision consciously uh, before you apply that sort of scale push, as I call it. So easy to get it wrong and uh, be, be prepared to get it wrong and, and correct, of course. I would say self reflection, make sure before you scale, you're ready to scale, you know what it is you're trying to do, and uh, you're marshaling your resources to do that so that. On the other end, you have a very positive outcome. Yeah, that's, that's been my experience is once the train leaves the station, I like that. It's too late. <laughs> it's hard to turn that thing around or go left, go a little bit more right or whatever. Uh, and you're going to get it wrong. You can't get it all right, right? And then it's it's being able to adjust and not just you as the CEO or maybe the top three execs. It's being able to push it down everywhere. It's like, okay... We were going that way, but now we're just going to give it just a little bit more over here because it's just not happening. It's yeah. tough. Once you have, if you've got a team of, you know, above 20, 30, and you've got the entire, you know, tree of all the way out to the leaves of everybody moving in the same direction on a scaling process, it, it is hard to change that momentum, right? You know, the, the outer leaves are not going to get the message, even if you change you know, for you can get up and have an all hands and be in front of everybody. But if they're already marching in a certain direction, they've already got customers moving in a certain direction, or they've got processes moving in a certain direction, you know, unwinding that takes time, right? So, but be prepared, right? Like, you're, you're probably going to get it wrong a little bit. And, and uh, like you said, tweak it, you know, and, and try to adjust and be pretty quick on that. Because once that train has got the momentum, it's, it's hard. I'm going to pick out one little thing from what you said, talking about negative cash flow and sort of to dominate the market or the grow or die mentality. When do you know to switch? How do you know when to change goals to really focus on getting that positive cash flow? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and it, it's unique to every business and unique to every entrepreneur and, and management team, right? You know, you're in negative cash flow, unless you're funding that yourself, you're probably taking on, um, you know, equity-based funding or debt-based funding. And that's obviously going to dilute your, your future value. Um, so it's a, 
measurement between you know current value and future value against the dilution and what are you willing to do right and uh, really looking at it through that lens it's difficult in the moment right you're looking at something and you're like you really believe in it you've got a lot of passion and you've got negative cash flow but you believe you can dominate a market or, or get out in front of competitors or perhaps gain enough market share that you can partner with some bigger folks and that will propel your business into a second phase all of these are very valid strategies i mean you know uh, all our giant tech companies basically started in this way at one point they were building their businesses you know in some some cases uh, decades ago but they all started with you know hey i'm not sure if this is going to work and i'm going to take on some funding or take on some risk to build my thing and then you know lo and behold you have quote unquote a unicorn and then later on 10 plus billion dollar valuation type companies so you know very common way to do it and uh very appropriate but it really is i think the risk tolerance and management tolerance of each team in each unique situation you know, my personal advice is great, you know, think about what it is you're trying to do personally, you know, particularly if you're a founder CEO or you're on the founding team, you know, where you're at in your career, where you're at in your sort of life cycle of, you know, am I in my early twenties, you feel a little differently about risk profile and, and money than you do uh, later in your career, you know, when you're in your fifties and, you know, like we might want to take a little less risk and focus on cash flow and a, and a, and a tighter business plan, maybe might be more appropriate for you know an older founder, but ev- everybody's unique. Everybody's different in what they want to do. If you run a negative cash flow business, run out of money at some point, right? You can only raise money so far, right? It's going to exceed your valuations are going to be underwater versus what you can raise. If you've got you're running into that problem, uh, you should obviously slow down and figure out how to get cash flow positive. But uh, most people have a pretty good signal of, of when that's going to happen. Rob, we're going to dive into the second question, which is, what are the, some of the common pitfalls or failures you have witnessed that business owners should look to avoid when scaling their business? Yeah, it's, no, it's a great, great, great question. And I think we touched on it a little bit earlier. You, you do find people, you know, quote unquote, scaling a business and and they're not scaling the right area. They're way down the train, you know, two, three years later. And, you know, they haven't solved maybe the go-to-market. They haven't solved perhaps the cash flow. They're, they've got a widget out there that's, you've got some market share, but, you know, the Competitors have a similar product and you're able to muscle your way in, but you're losing money, you know, faster than can be printed. All those kind of things we said is that self-reflection upfront to is where you're trying to get to. So when you get there, you know, your KPIs, your metrics, those goals are really, you know, holistically met. You know, you can look at it and say, okay, if I land at this place, I'm going to be in my phase two or my next horizon, the business or next chapter, whatever analogy you want to use. And uh, making sure that you're not going in a in a direction that is going to trip you up long term, difficult to see, right? You know, you're looking at it, and you know, this is the challenge always for entrepreneurs and and startup management teams, and young companies, is you get myopically focused on it, right? You know, hey, here's what we've got, and you're probably passionate about it, right? You maybe, maybe it's probably your own baby, right? Maybe like step back and look at it and determine, like I said, that sort of self reflection might be obscured by a passion that will definitely uh, sort of trip you up. I, w- I would say, you know, if you get to sort of a mid-market type company, you know, you've got 10 million, 15 million in revenue, recurring revenue, you know, or or pretty reliable uh, year by year sort of growth on sort of non-recurring type revenue, you know, at least, you know, 15, 20% type, type of growth. If you can get yourself to that sort of phase, which is, you know, outside of the startup phase, it's probably, you know, lower middle market kind of phase. If you can get into that zone and you've met that sort of scaling you know, sort of criteria that you had laid out at the beginning, you've probably had a win. You're probably in a in, in a good spot. And obviously you can get above that, right? If you're, you know, 
go from zero dollars on day one to you know thirty million plus, you know you're 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 probably on your way. And you're talking about you know focus on the right thing so that you can you're aiming at the right thing. A lot of people are solving the same problem. You know, six different companies all trying to solve the same problem, and and I think that kind of what you're talking about. You know, it's it's hard to see. You know, it's hard to see through the forest, right? And you know, I just wonder how many are truly able to see the problem they want to solve and how they can do it differently. Because if they're doing it like everybody else, then it's just the who's better race. And that's hard to grow. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, myself, personally, in my career, spent a lot of time on competitive analysis, I would say in restaurant tech, hospitality tech, you know, it's a friendly, you know, sort of cooperative competition. You know, uh, most of the tech companies in, in this space or Intelity, you know, we have to integrate with one another. You know, there's not a hotel on the other side or, you know, partner on the other side that's going to be like, well, you know, we just want Intelity and we don't want a PMS, right? That conversation doesn't ever happen, right? So you, you need to be friends with everybody, but at the same time, you need to study them, right? You know, and I would say outside of hospitality tech, same advice, right? If you're out there doing whatever your widget is and you feel like there's competitors, point competitors or more full direct competitors, you know, in your space, I definitely would advise studying that, trying to figure out what they're doing, you know, follow them on Crunchbase, you know, follow their website, sign up for their newsletter, you know, if you see them at a show, one of the things I did joining uh, Intelity or, or formerly Keeper before we uh, acquired Intelity was I went to high tech, my first high tech. And um, I had only been on the ground about a month and I signed up for high tech uh, under a fake. I mean, I used my real name, but I signed up under a fake company and had a fake badge. And I walked around the show as a hotel guy, you know, trying to uh, buy hotel software from various vendors and nobody knew who I was. Nobody knew my face. This is you know seven plus years ago, and so I was able to like listen to the pitch that everybody was doing. Right, you know, here's some guys doing something similar to what we're doing. So you know, be clever and try to um, you know exactly follow your competitors. And and I think you know, Jason, to, to 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 build on what you're driving at, you know, once you understand them and what they're doing, there probably is some variation if they're going down a path of their widget and you've got your widget, what, what's the difference between yours and theirs, right? Like don't go down the price, like, oh, mine's cheaper. That's always, you know, not always, but usually a bad decision because you're just going to destroy value for yourself and you're going to destroy value for them. So don't start with a, uh, a price kind of attack approach, but you know, think about how am I different? How am I better? And perhaps you're selling very similar things and perhaps the, the marketing messaging and just how your positioning can be a major uh, determining factor about success or failure. I would say, you know, what's interesting in, in hotels and in restaurants, you know, it's always the industry is accused of being sort of slow to adopt tech and those kinds of things. And I, that very true, you know, certainly not cutting edge in terms of technology. I think from the standpoint of companies that are competing in the space, particularly, uh, you know, tech vendors doing stuff, I think that actually kind of works to your advantage. You're not required to be on the cutting edge and, you know, such an R&D bleeding edge that, you know, the only way to win is that your R&D is slightly a be better than everybody else. It, it's more than that, right? You know, hotels and restaurants are looking for exactly the kinds of things that they provide to their guests. They're looking for service. They're looking for hospitality. They're looking for those kinds of components in your business. And so being smart in that area can be, uh, you know, a winning formula. Like if you've got a competitor who's weaker at it, then, you know, go to market with, hey, I'm, I'm really the best hospitality player here, right? I understand your business and I work on work with you just like you work with your customers. Really interesting point to look at it because 
a lot of tech companies might not immediately see that there have to also be service companies as well because they're dealing with service clients. So the culture sort of exudes into it. Do you have any quick pieces of advice for tech companies to really orient themselves towards being a service culture? We knew this from the beginning of, of Keeper and probably would have taken the SAT question and answered it correctly, but then it's a little hard to execute on it. But your customer success effort really matters in a service-related uh, you know, customer base, right? So that post-sale, not tech support, right? The customer success effort of here's our platform, here's our widget, here's our thing, and making sure that that partner on the other side is making good use of it. Uh, taking it and uh, getting maximum value out of it, all of the things that you intended when you scaled up your business, that those are being translated on the other side. The service industry, you know, it's notorious for people change jobs, you know, people that might have purchased your widget are not there, you know, two years later, and you need to re-educate them. You might need to reacquaint them. You might need to resell essentially what you already did. So I would say the customer success effort, probably not the first thing you need to do, you know, as a startup when you're lean and mean and three guys in the garage, but when you get to the scale level, uh, if you're forgetting about customer success, I would say it's going to be very hard in in a service world to be mindful of your customer. Robert, on to the third question here. Talked about the common pitfalls. Now we're looking at the opportunities. So what do you see as the key opportunities and challenges for hospitality technology companies in 2023 and beyond? Yeah, it's, no, it's a great question and something we think about all the time. I would say, you know, the question we talked about before, we talked a little bit about hospitality uh, tech being not necessarily cutting edge R&D, you know, um, while we see, you know, chat GPT and all kinds of AI stuff out there making headlines on TechCrunch and, you know, the Wired and all these kind of places. All that's great, but you know, it's not necessarily a application that is needed in an immediate full effect in hotels. There's time, right? There's plenty of things that can be done between now and when there's an AI bot running the uh, the front desk, you know, virtual front desk or something like that in the, in the future, right? Those things will come and those things will come in other industries, frankly, faster and more quickly. And that's okay. So I think, you know, as an opportunity for hospitality tech companies, that, that is it, right? You have time to develop and take what we talked about earlier, what's your unique, unique differentiator, what makes your widget special, and you have time to work that tech and product angle in a way that is effective. You're not under the extreme pressure of, you know, hey, I got to be first to market with my VR thing, or I got to be the first to market with my cool chat GPT, you know, AI based, the movie Her, you know, assistant that walks around with me all day long, right? You're not in that kind of rush, which is a very different kind of rush, right? So take advantage of that. I, I do think, you know, obviously you should put time on, on new R&D type things, you know, you shouldn't ignore them, but uh, relieve yourself of some of that pressure and then focus really on the thing that benefits to, you know, hotels, restaurants, and, you know, sort of generally in hospitality, they're trying to solve pain points day in, day in and day out. Those pain points do change. They changed after the pandemic. They're changing even now. You know, people wear all QR codes and, you know, on the app and all that kind of stuff. And you can see now, you can go to restaurants now and it's drifting back, right? It's drifting back to more in-person service. And uh, the, the workforce has stabilized quite a bit. People are getting, you know, paid decent levels, maybe not what they sh- should totally uh, be earning uh, quite yet, but we're getting back into a kind of stable career-minded kind of workforce in hospitality. 
And we're getting away from that sort of pandemic mindset of everything's got to be digital, everything's got to be on the app um, kind of mindset. And so it, that that opens up new things, right? You know, as a hospitality tech company, you can step right into that, right? Understand what is the latest pain point. Well, how can we drive efficiency for those staff members? You know, how can we do things that are better for them day to day? I'd love to listen to the customers. You know, that's one thing to provide opportunity for the company is always listen to the customers. Uh, I love going on site to a customer, not Sometimes I don't tell the staff. I've done this probably a dozen times in uh, my lifetime at Keeper and Intelity. Just stay at one of our properties, right? Download the app. You know, for us doing mobile check-in and all those kinds of things are key. Do all that stuff. Undercover boss it a little bit like, wow, that didn't work quite right. Boy, that dialogue box was kind of clear, but maybe we re- we could reword it, those kinds of things. And, you know, I'd recommend uh, doing that. And that that right there will help you prove, improve and provide you opportunity to continue to make your, uh, your product better. You know, tech in uh, hospitality, as we said, it's not necessarily, uh, you know, the top of mind necessarily for all customers. They're worried about their guests, worried about uh, obviously the cash flow of their, their hotel businesses, the restaurant businesses. And so, you know, being top of mind is sometimes a little tricky, right? You might be bringing a great widget that can really help them, but making sure that uh, you're in in front of them and proving out the, the necessity for your tech is always a challenge. You know, last thing I'll, I'll say in that area too, right? We talked about customer success and, and being service-minded. It's not easy, right? When you're looking at a company that's in hotel tech, you got a lot of engineers, right? Like in engineers and you know hotel you know front desk people, they're, they're not the same. They're not cut from the same cloth. They have different like aspirations, they have different, you know, approaches and you're dealing with, you know, some momentum that is very techy. And then you're dealing with a momentum that is also very service minded. And so, you know, I think that is always a challenge trying to find that right balance, right? When's the right time to, uh, to bring the engineer in? When's the right time that customer success uh, needs to address something and striking that, that, that balance as you go? Yeah. I wonder how many applications need to spend time refamiliarizing their clients with their application versus cram chat GBT in there? <laughs> I, I would say probably we, we expect to revisit our customers and kind of re-educate them, particularly the top ones on, on a pretty recurring basis, right? You know, QBR, you know, kind of, kind of style, like check in, make sure that you're visiting them Make sure that, you know, because on a large, like one of our large casino resorts, I mean, there's, there's hundreds of people working there, right? Many of them will be touching our application, using our product. And if you're not on top of the change in that, and just in that flow, right? You know, out of those, you know, 500 people, 100 of them changed in the last six months. Um, that right there, 20% of people don't, don't know your product, perhaps. And then so you do need to be on top of it um, with regular engagement. Talk about the intersection of uh, staff changing and engagement. And I'm wondering if you can speak to how technology specifically can help with staff engagement and uh, staff retention. Yeah, I I think uh, a lot of hospitality tech companies in all the different forms, you know, that's one of the things that I think everybody's tries to get to is like, look, my application can be really great at checking people in or doing some upsell or perhaps, you know, managing the staff calendar or whatever, right? But everybody tries to dive in and and make it so that the staff can get into the application and understand and see benefit from it pretty much right away, right? If they're not going to see that, or it's going to be difficult to use, you know, like people are busy, right? And and again, the main focus of somebody working at a, you know, a restaurant is getting out quality food and making sure that there's a great meal on the table and, and courteous and quick service, same thing at a hotel, 
making sure people are, you know, feeling like they got the service and hospitality that they deserve for the type of, of hotel and class that it is. Um, not really inter- interested in messing around with your weird software, right? If you're going down uh, an approach of selling almost anything, this, the staff have to be able to understand it and use it and be effective with it. And if you achieve that and you make their lives easier, right? That is huge, right? Like, oh, wow, I was able to offset uh, some part of my workday through this piece of technology, or I was able to make my guests experience better through this piece of technology. And that right there, you know, benefits the staff, right? They're, they can see the benefit on the other side, right? As long as it's easy, right? Like, so you took you 30, 35 steps to make the guests experience marginally better. Like that's, that's probably not, not a great widget that you built, but you know, if, if you're able to effectuate a good outcome, and the staff can easily do it and, and, and achieve a result, you found a win, right? I also sort of say is like the staff, you know, they work in pods, they work in teams and think about that always as well, right? You know, if you're delivering something that that needs to be operated by, you know, more than one person, probably making sure you facilitate that communication, that ease of the team cross team being able to use your widget, uh, make sure that you're able to do that. You know, if it's like, oh, you know, it's, one sign in and, you know, permissions of complicated stuff. And, you know, team number two can't see what team number one did. You're like, that's not going to work in a high, high paced uh, service environment. Awesome. Robert, we're going to shift into the fourth question here. What are the key things innovative leaders and entrepreneurs should prioritize and focus on to gain traction for their business? We talked a little bit about scaling earlier, and I, I think you do have to find that scaling point. But you know, before scaling, right, you, you really do need to get your product market fit right, your widget right, your core product in the right zone pre-scale. And um, I think you must prioritize in that area and try to drive innovation in that area. We talked a little bit. Jason mentioned, you know, you've got a lot of competitors, a lot of people may be doing the same thing. Making sure that you've built that widget properly and you know, it, it's not easy, right? You, you, you're going to have probably some product focus. You're going to have to have some some go-to-market and sales and marketing focus. The people that you're building in your team to kind of get that going, you know, the first people in the door around, that is priority number one, right? Like who are these people? What is the widget that we're building? And making sure that you really get that right. And being really, you know, uh, mindful of pre-scale, right? Look, I've got this team and this team can scale up. Or maybe this team can't, right? And so prioritizing that careful mix of your minimum viable product, if you want to call it that, your sort of lean product and the people that are building it, and then the next wave of people that are going to need to uh, to potentially scale it up. I would prioritize and focus on that almost right away, right? That's where you've got to start. If you fail on the people side or you fail on the product side, there's nothing to scale at the end of the day. You might set up something to scale, but, you know, nothing's worse than, Oh, we got a great product, but that foundational team that we put together isn't all bought in on it or they're fractured or, you know, Joe believes we should be over here with the product and Sally believes we should be over there with the product. Not going to work, right? And flipping it around, Joe and Sally might be perfectly aligned on the product, but the minimum viable product doesn't have a chance in the market because, you know, it's very similar to competitors. You know, you're going to be everywhere and nowhere, right? So prioritize on those things. I, I think as you as you mature the company, the focus does change. You know, um, we talked about scaling quite a lot at the beginning. If you're the CEO or the founder, your your focus is going to shift more towards the people. It just has to. You're going to be you know big picture strategy, probably involved in various tactical areas as you mature the company. But you have to 
hire people to do those things, right? You, you can't be involved in every tech support call. You can't be involved in every customer success call. You can't be involved in every product meeting. You can't review all of the code that's being submitted to, to GitHub, right? So you, you just, you, you're, you're going to, as a, as a founder entrepreneur, really, as you get out of that sort of young startup stage, have to figure out where you do want to spend your time. And then the rest of the time has to be on managing the people that are doing the other parts, right? So maybe you're a, a techie kind of person, stay with the code, stay with the engineers, but leave customer success, sales, and go to market to strong leaders that you're watching them, you're working with them, but you're not in there doing it. And then as you get bigger, like you get to you know the scale of multi-hundred people, it's all about the people, right? It's your management team. You're going to be setting some big strategy. You're perhaps going to be coming in and changing direction, those kinds of things, managing the board, maybe managing investors, those kinds of things. But your, your focus is going to be very much on your management team and guiding them and providing them appropriate incentive, appropriate admonishment as, as needed, you know, to to really steer the ship. But it's all about people management at that point, really. Yeah, you've heard it all before, right? Hire people smarter than you, get out of their way. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. If you're like, it, it's it's a young entrepreneur's uh, mistake, as, as I've advised people many times over the years, and you know, often it's like, well, I know a lot about this, and so I'll just hire the junior person that can kind of like do the dirty work for me, and. That can work for a small company, right? Because you know you're omnipotent and you can manage a team of you know, maybe you'll be able to get your team up to 15, 20, maybe 30 people tops in that kind of style. But that's not going to get you to you know 200 people. It's just not right. You, you need to hire people that are better than you at different areas. That's the perfect point to end it. Great. Yeah, Robert, uh, just fantastic words of wisdom, uh, really applicable to any any company. So I can't thank you enough for coming on to the show. Thanks for having me. It's been great. Thanks for listening to the Gain Momentum podcast. To stay up to date, make sure to follow or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Gain Advisors, head to gainadvisors.com.